Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me the five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they'd like to bury and forget. My guest in this episode is Ian Lawman. Ian is one of the UK's most highly sought exorcists. Yes, that's right, exorcists. And has been featured on a number of successful television shows, including Most Haunted, I'm Famous and Frightened, Living with the Dead, Help My House is Haunted, and Celebrity Help My House is Haunted. Ian hails from a normal, working-class family, but broke from following a traditional career path at the tender age of 16, when, despite seeing and hearing spirits and ghosts, he chose to become a top dancer and fashion model. His modelling won him the accolade of being the face of 1997. Later, after many years of fighting his natural abilities, Ian succumbed to his role as a psychic and is now a well-known figure in the world of the unknown and paranormal. In his time, he's been screened holding the world's first live seance and the world's first live Ouija board session. He famously performed the first ever exorcism shown on UK TV, and he's qualified, having worked very closely with many churches. His latest TV show, The Yorkshire Exorcist, is airing this October on Really and Discovery+. Plus. We'll find out a lot more about Ian as we go, but if you've listened to this podcast before, you will know that I am a complete non-believer when it comes to anything spiritual or otherworldly. So you can imagine that I approach this conversation with some trepidation. But as is usually the case, if you give people the chance to talk, you will discover common ground. And I really enjoyed talking to Ian, who I believe is a genuine and kind man. He didn't convince me, but I don't think he expected to. Still, see what you think, as Ian Lawman tells me the five things from his extraordinary, and I know I use that word a lot, but in this case it has to be applicable, five things from his, okay then, extra unordinary life that he'd want in a time capsule. Have fun. 
My son produces this. Isn't that lovely? That's amazing, isn't it? Who would have thought? He was 40, yeah. he was 40 the other day. We had a lovely party. All his friends turn up. It's a weird thing because I remember being 40 myself and thinking, oh, I was quite old. But then I see all his friends and they all look exactly the same. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Time flies, doesn't it? Doesn't it just? I mean, my father's 87 now and I'm 54 and we was talking about it. You know, where does time go? You know, I, I can remember sitting on the assembly school floor on the cold parquet and, and, uh, and now, you know, it's, it flies, doesn't it? Yeah. But those memories are as clear as anything, aren't they? In a way, that's what this podcast is about, because I don't think that you necessarily take yourself back to those places very often in your life. You know, there's always something you've got to do, usually something quite mundane. But when you do, they're as real as if they were yesterday, aren't they? I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. It's totally, you know, they need to stay in your memory forever, don't they? They do. Well, they define you, I think. I mean, they make yeah. you who you are. So that's why it's interesting to hear them, because you can say, I, I can see where you're coming from now. Oh. But what an extraordinary life you've had. Yeah, it is, it is a, a bit of a, a, a peculiar life I've had. But, but, so, yeah, I love helping people. Clearly you do, because otherwise it would be a burden, wouldn't it? I think you're right, and I think there's so many people out there now. And I think, I think times have changed, and I've been talking about this, that... Nobody seems to want to help anybody anymore. Everyone wants to be famous. Everyone wants to, um, you know, the internet's gone crazy. I mean, obviously it's great because we're doing this, mm -hmm. but there's some negatives with that, isn't there? And, and um, you know, everyone seems to be on the phones. Everyone seems to be on the internet. Nobody has a communication. We, you know, we used to write letters. Then yeah. we, when we had a fax machine, wasn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> Watching it come out. Yeah. It took forever, didn't it? Yeah. But to a large extent, that is exactly what you're doing with people. Because I think, see, you know, I've, I've spoken to Danny Robbins on this. Now, he's in, he's in a way a similar sort of area he's gone into because it's always yep. fascinated him. But he's absolutely unsure still whether it's real or in people's minds. He doesn't know. Now, you, of course, have the other side to it. You have that thing where you say, but I, I can hear them. It's the strangest thing in the world, you know, and, and I can always remember when I first heard the voice when, I mean, my, my parents, uh, my mum's no longer with us, bless her, but my dad said, you know, I used to talk to myself when I was two, like a lot of children would, mm. but I would touch walls and say, through there, through there. <laughs> and, and, and I do have little memories, but I, my biggest memories was when I was four and mm. I could hear voices. And, and if we ever went out anywhere as, as, as a family, I would see things that nobody else could see. Right. You know, and, and, and it's quite a lonely existence. Yeah, I'm sure. To have that. And, and, you know, and then when I got to a teenager, my parents thought, you know, is there something wrong with our son? Does he need some help? And I can remember going to the doctors and explaining, and they said, there's nothing wrong with him, he's fine. He's just got an imaginary friend. He's just imagining things. Yeah. You know, not the fact that that imaginary friend is still with me at 54 years of age. <laughs> you know? Did you feel then that you had to, in a way, hide it from people? Yeah. It, I, I met an old school friend um, a good few years ago. I'd not seen for 30 years. And he said to me, he says, oh, Ian, he says, I'm so proud of you. What are you doing on television? Who would have, who would have known that? I says, oh, thank you. He says, but you was always a bit weird at school. <laughs> and, and I thought, was I weird at school? What, what was I? Was I, I thought I was quite normal. Yeah. I would hang around with the it crowd, if you like. I'd play football. I was really good at sports. But he says, you always had these eyes. And he says, you still got them where it looks through people's souls. 
Right. And so many people have said that to me. And, and I just thought I was engaging, you know, just uh, having a conversation. But apparently I looked through people's souls. Well, I think maybe the one of the... It's difficult because I am a cynic about this. Yeah. Almost in yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you must meet constantly people say, of course. No, no, I just don't believe this. But, you know, to understand it, there has to be an element with you where you have a deeper empathy than I think other people have. To listen to people tell you their stories about this thing that is destroying their lives. Now, in a way, whether that's real or not real, your effect on them is such that it actually takes that away from them. And that's an extraordinary thing to be able to do. It's, you're, t- you're totally right. And I'm, I can't be there to judge. You know, I have to take on their stories. Mm-hmm. That story is real to them. Yep. And I have to absorb that story. Mm-hmm. Now, there is sometimes, you know, there's some certain circumstances when you sit and you're talking to somebody, you think, it's a little bit far-fetched. Right. But I'm, I'm not there to judge. I'm there to help. And um, I think what helps me is, you know, when I'm helping people with exorcism, um, we have psyche reports, we have medical records. So we've seen all that. We've got that in front of us. Mm. When when one says that they're fit-bodied, there's nothing wrong with them medically, which rules out brain tumors, pressures of the brain, which could cause hallucinations or anything like that. And then you see the psyche report that comes back 100% perfect, nothing wrong with them. Mm. Never been any history of depression, never been any history of anxiety. Now, okay, people can lie. People can lie. We know that. And, and, and you know, we, we, we're taking the, the doctors and the psychiatrists' um, records as proof, you know, that they're telling the truth. Now, if you don't tell your doctor that you're having mental health problems, because not everyone goes to the doctors, do they? No. And how many days do you have low days where, where, you know, we all have low days, don't we? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, some people are really good at hiding that. But we have to go by those records to perform exorcism. And then when it says there's nothing wrong with them and you start interviewing them, you do see them as people who are seriously having issues here. Mm. But then when you start talking to the family and even children, you know, like with Michelle's children, when we was talking to the children, to her husband, and the children are very young and are saying, I've lost my mummy. My mummy's mm. changed. My mummy's not the same. You start feeling this immense amount of pressure to help. You've got to do something. You know, whether, whether I believe she's possessed or whether I believe there's something else going on, if I can help this person get her marriage back, get her children back to her, then I've done my job properly. That's how I look at it. Yeah. For some people, standing with no clothes on in the middle of a forest, that's going to do it. Yeah. You're going to go, I feel at one with the trees, and you say, fine. And other people say, I'm sorry, one with, what are you talking about? Yeah. Everything to every person, I think. I think you're totally right. And I think, you know, wouldn't it be born a boring world if it was all the same? You know, yeah. I, I love the fact that we're all very different. And, you know, I work with skeptics all my life and, and, and I, I never have an issue with that. You know, lovers are not rude to me. You yeah, know, I, I respect everyone's decision. And like I said to you, you know, this is my occupation and I see things that I can't explain. So if I can't explain them, how on earth could you understand that or, or the skeptic understand that? Hmm. I like the fact that you differentiate between people being disturbed and affected in a demonic way. And I should imagine if you're in this, whatever this place is, and you occasionally find that you can make contact with some of the people who are still here. Yes. When that happens, you would go, oh, at last, because you must be trying it all the time, I would imagine. Yeah, most definitely. And I feel, I feel it's like echoes of the past, isn't it? I mean, how many times do you go into a room and, 
then you feel there's something in there or you, you just get that little shudder. And most people just put it down as a coincidence, but that's a feeling, that's an emotion. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, these walls, these brick walls behind me, the echoes of the past, so they absorb every material. They absorb a voice. They absorb everything. So when we're walking into a place, we hear that, we sense it. Some of us more sensitive than others, like myself. We can hear that. We can touch that. And it's amazing the fact that we can communicate with that. And sometimes, you know, we use scientific evidence or we, we use um, digital recorders or we use we use things where there's communication. But, I mean, some of the evidence we've had, it, it, it kind of makes us stand on our tiptoes and think, did we really hear that? Right. You know, was that clear? And, and you know, people are always going to say, oh, you're making a TV show. I understand that. I understand that. But, but you know, we're never, we're never going to get rid of the cynic. But we sometimes look at the sound guys, and there was one instance where it was in an old rectory, and Barry, the paranormal investigator, said, let me just record this conversation. I went, okay, fine. So I was calling out just to see if there's anybody there, and all of a sudden uh, we played it back, and there was this really deep voice that said, what do you want? Oh, God. <laughs> and we all looked at each other. And, and you know, I shouldn't be the cynic of the group. I should be the massive believer. But I turned around to the sound recordist and said, is there any way you could have done that? And he looked at me and said, how can I do that? How can I do that? I'm in the room with you. I went, well, who did that? Because it was that clear. And the homeowners who, who had the rectory turned around and said, if we wasn't sat here with you, we wouldn't have believed you. And there's situations like that. How can you explain that? How can you? I, I don't know. I really don't know. But, I mean, you would have experienced it a lot of times. That's the point. And, and in a way, that sort of accumulative thing backs up what you're going through. It must do for you. I mean, you obviously can understand why people go, but why not me? Why, why, oh. if, they're, if they're there, why? Why is it not clear to me? Why can't we see them? I think you're right, but then we could say, why have some people got an amazing voice born with a natural voice, and why not me? Why can't I, ha- I have that amazing voice? Yeah. And, and you are right. I mean, skeptics do say, why can't I see them? And we, we do say to people, I think if you go with an attitude that you're not going to see it, you don't want to see it, you will never experience anything. And, right. I, and I do believe that every single one of us is sensitive to a certain extent, but I think some of us, like myself, just are a little bit more in tune than others. Because people will say... Why don't we have a sit-down conversation with spirit? And I said, it's the energy. It's a white noise. So every time it goes past here, I get it. But then it's gone. It comes and it goes. You're sort of, in a way, tuning it's, in, tuning out. It's, it's all around you. Yes. I mean, that sort of makes sense. Clearly, if people, now, and I'm going to keep saying if, but if people die and then they become spirits, some people, it does make sense in a way that they're not part of this world. And therefore, it's unusual for them to be visible or, or heard or have any connection with this world because they're different places. I can see that. It's not a thing that I've really thought about. I suppose, really, I, that's because I, I very quickly rejected it. I very, I went, no, that's not real, and so I've never really looked at it. So I'm hoping that you are going to enlighten me to an extent. Maybe the thing about it, Ian, is that you clearly have the ability to tune in with people, yeah. and I would say a, an ability to actually really listen to what people are saying and to understand it. Yeah, I think it's very important. I think it's very important. And I think I think for me, it's just being with that person, listening to them, and get, almost getting into their energy field. That's what it is. And getting a feeling of that person. 
Maybe we need to take you on one of our ghost investigations and see how you feel. That would be amazing, wouldn't know. it? It would be amazing. I mean, I'm not, I'm absolutely not a person who's going to go, no, I've got it all sorted and I know it. I do know what I think and I know why yeah. I think it, but I'm also willing to be shown that I'm wrong. And in your situation, I would think I'm the expert. I've seen all this before. And you go, no, I've got to approach each one as a new thing. I hate the word expert. And, and it's funny that <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, you're totally right. And, and people will introduce me as an expert. And, and I say, I'm not an expert. I'm still learning. Yeah. You know, you're totally right. Every single case is totally different. You know, the Yorkshire Exorcist case with Michelle Bauer, uh, um, that was totally different, you know, um, to, to what we do on Help My House is Haunted. Yeah. So every single case we go in, very open-minded, me especially, never know what I'm going to expect and I never know what I'm going to come away with. And I think that's the best way. Yeah. Let's talk about the things you've chosen then to put into a time capsule and see what else that reveals to us about you. Because I think that there must be an element in your life if you've found these things. Uh, to begin with, I would imagine as a young person, it would have been quite disturbing because you would quite quickly become aware that you were, to a large extent, unique, certainly amongst the people you knew. And that is always disturbing, isn't it, I think, to sort of go, well, I'm going to have to cope with being different. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I'm very sociable. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very sociable person, but people do say that I'm um, quite insular. You know, I do like my own time. And I think that makes me different then. And that's what people may see. It may see me as different because I'm like that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with being quiet and being contemplative. Yeah, I agree. Lovely. Okay, right. Well, let's find out what you've chosen, Ian. Um, so what's number one? My number one is caravan holidays. <laughs> How lovely. <laughs> so I have really fond memories. And I think I think children nowadays miss out on caravan holidays. Yeah. And, and you know, they all want to go abroad. They all want the most expensive apartment or villa. But for me, my parents, you know, didn't have a lot, you know, very working class. And, and we had caravan holidays on the East Coast, which mm -hmm. I still have fond memories of. And my grandparents always tagged along, you know, we, 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 we had amazing beach holidays. But it, but it, caravan holidays for me was, was because I was a loner, because I was on my own. I used to just wander off. And um, it's got a memory of me, a fond memory of when I wandered off and get emotional. And I was talking to this young boy, and um, I, I just wandered off down into the park, and I started talking to this young boy. Didn't notice at the time that he wasn't wearing similar clothes to me, very different type of clothing. Uh, we just got talking, and, and um, I was on the swing, and at the time didn't notice that he couldn't get on the swing. <laughs> and I said, do you want to go on the swing? And, 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 and he kind of avoided the subject. But as a child, you don't see that. You don't understand that. And I went back and my, my parents would say, oh, who have you seen? What have you been doing? I said, oh, I've been playing with a lad called Danny. And they went, all right, that's nice. That's nice. Where are And I said, oh, just, just with, this was in Skegness. And, and I just said, oh, down there, down there. And uh, the following day, my mum would, she came with me. She says, where's Danny? She says, is there, mum? Near the swing. And, and I could tell by a vacant expression that she couldn't see this Danny. Wow. Which was really, 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 really strange. But but we would talk. We, we would have amazing, uh, you know, amazing time together. We you know would walk off. We'd play poo sticks near the, the near the sea and, and and silly things like that. Have you had that sort of detail of of connection with other people since then? 
Massively. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm a lot older now, so I don't go around talking to, to imaginary friends as such because it, it would look wrong. But as a child, it was so real. I could talk to him like you and I were talking. Maybe not like you and I are talking to each other, but we'd have a conversation. We'd be able to have a conversation. But looking back now, it's almost like the movie Sixth Sense. You know, when when you look back at it, you see the missing pieces of that puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's that's what it was. So so Caravan Holiday for me, were the, the one particular one in Skegness was a massive memory. But I can always remember we used to take my grandfather, and my grandma, with me, and my grandfather was such a character. <laughs> he liked his drink, my grandfather. He was of that generation where he'd work in the steelworks, he'd have 15 pints a day, and mm-hmm. and he used to go for walks at night, and um, one particular night he never came home. Uh. And my mum says, where's your granddad? I says, oh, he went for a walk. And she went, well, you'll have to go with your dad and find him. Anyway, we went looking for him, and, and we couldn't find him. Anyway, he decided to come back early hours of the morning, and we said, where have you been, granddad? Where have you been? He says, I got abducted by aliens. Oh. And we just laughed it off the eyes had a few beers again. <laughs> and then we was walking to the beach next day, uh, just me and my grandfather. And my grandfather says, where are you going? I says, I'm going to meet my mate, Danny. And he went, oh, okay, I'm just going to walk across the seafront. I went, okay, granddad, no problem. And then there's these young teenage girls. And these teenage girls says, good morning, Albert. How was your night last night? You'd gone clubbing with these girls. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brilliant. And that was the sort of character he was, you know, and it was amazing. But it was always when I was away on holiday, you know, I had these experiences. And, and I don't know whether there's a magnet of the East Coast, but I would always have experiences of, of when one time I went to Blackpool, believe it or not, but it was a B&B. Mm. And um, I can always remember being fast asleep and, and waking up to this lady in black with a little white penny on, walking into my room and, and doing something near the sink and then went out. And I said to my mum, I said, Mum, I says, a lady came in last night and started cleaning my sink. And so my mum went downstairs and complained, thinking, why on earth is this lady walking in my son's room, you know, uh, doing things? And we said, well, there's no maids working on the evening, so, so it can't be. But obviously it was a, it were made, just echoes of the past coming in, cleaning the sink and then walking out. How easily did you accept that then? Because, again, you must have very quickly become aware that the fact that this wasn't happening to other people. I think when you hear stories, you know, when, when your parents, parents, you know, say, come back to you and say, well, no, mate, did come into your room, Ian, last night. No. So you do start to question it. It wasn't really until I was 15, 16 that I properly accepted that it was dead people that mm-hmm. I could see or I had this ability to communicate with people or sense or feel like nobody else could or certain gifted people could. Yeah. So, so. So up to then, I found it very difficult, and it did scare me. You know, you could imagine as, as this maid came in, and I can remember covering myself up and thinking, why is she in my room? I didn't hear the door open or anything. But then you question your own sanity then, don't you? Yeah, because yeah. it's your natural process. I think, did I leave my door open? Was my door ajar? Or, or... So that would happen um, on holidays more than at home because I think I was more relaxed on holiday. I was having more fun mm-hmm. where... At home time, I mean, you know, when I was at home, you know, going to school and stuff, certain things would happen, but certainly nothing to that extent. So do you think that your mood then affects your, in a way, receptability? I think it does. I think Mm. you're right. I think totally. The more relaxed you are, the more comfortable you are. I think that makes you more sensitive to your surroundings. Right. How old were you with Danny? When was that? How old were you at the time? I was, um, Danny was Skegness, so I would have been 11. 11. Yes. And yeah. when you watch 
two 11-year-old boys meet on holiday and you see them, but they have that thing where you, they're quite capable of, you know, one will like one thing and one will like another, and they're quite capable of doing both separately, aren't they? And then coming back together occasionally. So that thing of you accepting the fact that he didn't communicate with you the way that you expected or that you, yeah. you know, you weren't really having a conversation, as you say. So he was sort of there and not there. As an 11-year-old boy, you can accept those sort of things, can't you? It doesn't disturb you. That's what I was putting it down to, you know, but not looking at his clothing, you know, realising that his clothing, you know, was Victorian. You were in Skegness. What do you expect, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I just thought it was an underprivileged child, you know, who yeah. didn't have a lot. Did your parents own a caravan or did they rent a caravan? We always rented. We could never afford a caravan. No. So it was always the same caravan. And it was the wettest, dankest caravan on the, on the site always, you know. <laughs> I love the smell and the smells a massive memory for me as well, where they used to light the match and um, use, the, use the gas as a little... It had a wick on it, didn't it? Like a mesh. A real gas lamp. Absolutely. Amazing things. I mean, incredibly dangerous thing to have in a caravan. <laughs> dangerous. Exactly. Exactly. Carbon monoxide <laughs> boiling everywhere. But But yeah... But they were yeah. amazing, weren't they? It was fantastic, and I just used to love it. And, you know, you used to wake up freezing and cold, but they were the fond memories, and, and, and you know, then memories will stay with me. And, uh, yeah, really, Lovely. really beautiful memories. Lovely. Well, let's put that in as the first thing then, Ian. Okay, so what's number two? Land Rover Defenders. Oh, my word. Have you had one? I have this massive obsession with them. I have one. Mm -hmm. I have a TD5. My partner, she hates it because it costs so much money to keep on the road. <laughs> um, it leaks water, it rattles. It, it's uh, the worst drive in the world, and I throw <laughs> loads of money at it, but I'll never part with it. But the reason, the reason why I wanted to put this in is I, I just love the fact that they're so simple. You mm. turn the key, the start, and you can go wherever you want, even though you can't hear yourself sing. There's just something amazing with it. But I also have a little ghost story connected with, with this. And, and I just thought I wanted to put that in because of my love of Land Rover Defenders. But on this series, we, we use a new shape Land Rover Defender. Right. So compared to my old one, we've got the new shape. Mm. And um, I got out of my old Land Rover Defender walking over to the new one. And I saw a man with a flat cap sat inside this car. And I thought, who's in the car? Who's, who? And this was parked at my house. And I thought, who's in my car? So I pressed the key, the door opened. So I thought, how did he get in? And then he just disappeared, just went. And this happened on several occasions, but we'd all, we would have this very strange smell in this Defender. And it was almost like a musky, damp smell. And it wasn't only me who could smell it, my partner could smell it, other cast members could smell it. So I thought nothing of it. I thought it is what it is. You know, we would we, just, just ignore it. And then one day, uh, my partner and I went for a coffee. And as I was walking to the coffee, I saw a dog sat in the passenger seat. <clears throat> and I said, did you see that dog? And she went, what dog? There's a dog. And it disappeared. So I thought, right, I'm going to ring the man who owns this car. I want to find out what's going on. So I said to him, I rang him up, and I said, have you gave me a haunted car? <laughs> and he started laughing. He says, why do you say that? And I went, well, I've seen a man with a flat cap. And then several days later, I see a dog in the passenger seat. He went quiet. And he says, I can't believe it. And I went, why? He says, I've got a story to tell you. And he says, my friend's a car dealer. And he said to me, he says, 
I was approached by another car dealer to see if I wanted to buy the new shape Land Rover Defender quite reasonably priced. And I went, yeah, okay, what's the catch? Why is it so cheap? He says, well, it needs a new headlining. And he went, why does it need a new headlining? And he says, well, I'm going to tell you the story. So it used to belong to a man who would service lift shafts. And this man took his dog everywhere with him. This man's wife couldn't get hold of him for a couple of days. So they sent um, another engineer out. They found this man dead inside of the lift shaft because he didn't isolate the lift, so it crushed him, unfortunately. Oh, my word. His dog was left in the car for a couple of days, dead. Mm. But it, it dragged the roof lining because it's got a glass roof trying to get out, trying to survive itself. Wow. So I saw the apparition of the man and the dog, um, which is quite an emotional story. Mm. And, and um, the owner couldn't believe that I actually saw that. And he says, please don't tell anyone because I'm trying to sell the, <laughs> sell, the, sell the car, but it doesn't matter. These are not frightening things to you. They, they don't frighten you, do they? It didn't frighten me, if I was honest with you, because I just thought, what a beautiful story. I've seen a man with his dog. Mm-hmm. sat in the car. But when I was told the story, it upset me. Yeah, I'm sure. It upset me the fact that this man was there for a couple of days, undiscovered, and his dog tried to survive by trying to scratch its way out. Oh, yeah. It's an absolutely awful story. But in a way, yeah. you then look at that situation. So if he's then hanging on to something or, or come back for something and the dog's with him and they're in the car, that's a happy place for him. They're together. They're reunited. Yeah. They're, yeah. Man and his best friend in a Land Rover Defender. What more could you want? <laughs> I like the fact that, you know, this man really loved his job and he took his dog everywhere with him. That, to me, means that they're together. Mm. And, and it was really, really funny because they said to me, did you do an exorcism on the car? And I went, no, because they're fine. They're sat there. They're together. They're reunited. There's nothing demonic there, is there? No, not at all. And the fusty smell was cigars or cigarettes or something yeah. like that. And do you know the weird thing? After I was told this story, the defender's only gone back today. This morning, did it go back this morning? Yeah, it went back this morning. So my partner sat behind me. So <laughs> it went back this morning. So they picked it up this morning. So we've had it since January to now because I've only just finished filming. But I've never smelled anything. I've never seen anything since that story was told to me. Right. So it's almost like that story had to be told. And I think spirits sometimes the echoes of the past, they just need to get their story across. They need to tell that story, and I think that's what happened. Right. And the fact that I love Land Rover Defenders over... I'm obsessed with Land Rover Defenders. I get excited like a child in a sweet shop when I see one go past. (laughs) But the fact that I had this experience in the new shape Defender is amazing. I think it's an amazing story that I I need to go in the capsule because it it needs to be shared with somebody eventually. Yeah, in a way, the revelation or the revealing of themselves to you meant that that thing had come to an end. It was satisfied with it. It was satisfied, yeah, totally. It was closure, wasn't it? It's like, it's just closure. It's a a really lovely way to see the world, I have to say. It's a lovely idea, you know, but... Yeah. But, you know, that's fine, Ian. I do... Love the idea of it. Yeah. I would love yeah. the world to be the world that you describe. You know, have you ever seen anybody you know? My best friend. My best friend um, sadly took his own life at the age of 15, my last year in senior school. Mm. And um, tragic, tragic story. He had a, a illness where cysts would grow on the outside of his face or on the inside and push disfiguration, very much like the elephant man, not as severe. Mm. 
and he used to get bullied, and me and him became really, really close friends. And I didn't know, uh, I didn't know it, 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 it passed. And I can remember coming home late, and my dad was at the bottom of the street. Where I was playing out with my friends, I was 15, and I was at the bottom of the street, and my dad was marching up and down, and he says to me, where have you been? In quite a, 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 a strict voice. And I thought, what have I done wrong? And he says, get home now, I've got some bad news for you. Mm. And, and I can remember saying to my dad, as my grandfather died, because I know my grandfather and my dad's side of the family was ill at the time. And he went, no, it's worse than that. I thought, what can be worse than that? Mm-hmm. Is mum okay? And it was like the green mile walking up the street, you know, <laughs> waiting for, 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 to see what would happen, what he was going to reveal. And then he said to me, Paul has died. I went, Paul, how has he died? How has he died? He says, I don't know any information, but Paul has died. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is horrific. This is awful. And I can remember going to bed that night, crying my eyes out, and my sister consulting me. And then I woke up, and this is what converted me. So I woke up, and Paul was, Paul was stood there in my room. And I can remember rubbing my eyes, and it's hard to believe for skeptics. I was rubbing my eyes, thinking, is this a dream? Mm-hmm. Is, 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 is he just going to stand there? And he smiled at me, and he said to me, everything's okay now, Ian. I'm happy. And he always said to me he was unhappy because he said nobody will ever want to go out with me as in a girlfriend or a partner. He said nobody would want me the way I look. Um, I get bullied all the time. You can't look after me all the time. But he said, everything's okay now, Ian. I'm happy. And I thought that was going to be it. And I stood there and, and absorbed it. And then he still stood there. And, and he was doing this. He was rubbing his sleeve like this. Mm. And I thought, why is he rubbing his sleeve? And then he disappeared. It just disappeared on me. So I told my mum and dad, and then obviously they said, you, you can't go around saying you've seen your best friend, Ian. That, that's really disrespectful. And my mum and dad went out shopping. So I thought, I'm going to ring his parents. I'm going to ring Paul's mum and dad and tell him that I saw him last night. You know, as a teenager, you don't think of the consequences, no, no. do you? I was hyper-excited. So I rang and said, um, Rose, Rose, that was his mum's name. I said, Paul came to see me last night. And she went, Ian, why are you doing this to me? Our mm. son's just passed. I went, yeah, but, 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 but he did, he did, he did. And then Derek, his father, came on the phone and he says, Ian, we're going to put the phone down now. And then this image of Paul doing this, I went, he had his Reebok sweatshirt on and everything. And there was a pause, a deadly pause. And they went, what did you say? I said, he had his Reebok sweatshirt on, he was rubbing it, he was showing me. And they went, was you at our house yesterday? I went, how can I be at your house, what do you mean? And they'd been shopping in Scunthorpe, bought Paul a brand new Reebok sweatshirt, and they said, will you try that on, Paul? We're going to the uh, garden centre, um, and just let us know how it fits when we come back. When they came back, Paul was dead with the door closed and everything, but he had the sweatshirt on. He had a Reebok sweatshirt on that I didn't know. No. How extraordinary. It was way before the times of mobile phones or anything like that. You know, he was 15. And, and um, that convinced me then that these visions, these dreams, these voices are people that I can see. Mm-hmm. And he was just letting me know to give that evidence to his parents. And I've spoken to his parents since, and, you know, they, they, they're not believers. You know, they're very, very much, you know, um, black is black, white is white. But they said, there's no way you could have known that information without talking to Paul, mm-hmm. you know. And so they accept that. Maybe it was an image I had that, that they can't take away, and it was a one-off maybe. But the fact that I saw that, that, that kind of, you know, 
still to this day blows my mind. It must make the world of well a delightful place for you, I think. Really, with the, the, this knowledge that you have this and you uh, you're completely convinced of it. Most people's worry in life is what's going to happen to me. Why why does it all end? I've always put down the belief in the afterlife as a desire for it to be true. You can, of course, convince yourself of these things because you so want it to go on. You can't understand why things would end. Why would all these things I have in my my head, all this memory, and as you say, when we talk about these things, they're right there. They're right in front of you. And death is the thing that takes them away. They're gone. But in your world, they're not. Yeah, I think we're all scared of like final switch, aren't we? Mm -hmm. We're frightened of flicking that switch. We're gone. We're gone forever. And, and I respect people who feel that. Like, you know, a lot of people believe that once we're here, we're here. Once we're gone, we're gone. There's nothing in between. And, and I have to respect that. But for me, I'm very fortunate, you know, whether you believe it or not, that I can see, I can tap into certain environments, certain vibrations where things happen that, that I can't explain or explain to others. But there's also a curse in there somewhere, I think, because I see things that aren't great. I see mm -hmm. the trauma. I see misery, you know. So when on the show or anything like that, we're communicating with spirits that have had a traumatic past. Yeah. You know, it's sad to think that if there is an afterlife, these people are still living in traumatic ways. They're trapped in it, as it were. They're trapped in it, yeah. And, and so that, that's a curse, mm. you know, for me to see that, you know, uh, and it's not nice. No, no, I'm but, sure. But there is, there is nice stories, but, but, you know, with the things I do, as far as exorcisms and things like that, I see the more, more of the negative than the positive. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, I'm going to put a lovely green classic Land Rover Defender into the time capsule Thank for you. you. You're welcome. Right, let's move on to the next thing. Okay, we have to interrupt this rather unusual episode of my time capsule to take an ad break. If you hear any strange noises during it, then my advice would be to not call an exorcist, but to check your headphones. But then again... See you in a moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to part two of my time capsule with the psychic and exorcist Ian Lawman. Let's find out what else he'd want in his time capsule. 
Hats. <laughs> I've noticed you wear that hat a lot. Hats and clothes for me. I spend a fortune on hats. My hats are commissioned. I get them handmade. Right. I just feel years ago, Victorian era gentlemen wore hats. And I just feel I'd like to see more people wearing hats. <laughs> Very good idea. Yeah. The higher the hat, the wealthier you were. You know, <laughs> so, so, so I, I, I just like it. And I just think it's a statement piece. I want to be remembered for my hats and my clothes. I love my clothes and my hats. Mm. Do you know, I find there are very few hats that I can wear that I don't look ridiculous in. I, I certainly can't wear a baseball cap. I look absolutely absurd. It's as if someone has deliberately designed it to not fit my face. The only thing that does work for me occasionally is something like the hat you're wearing at the moment, sort of a trilby or something. So you do wear them? I have done. My father wore a hat most of the time. My mother fell in love with, um, oh, he plays the officer in The Sound of Music. I can't remember his name. No. Anyway, that actor, whoever that was, my mother fell in love with him. So my father bought one, a very similar one with a little feather on the side, I think to make her fancy him again. Wow, wow. Well, I, I just remember as a child watching TV and watching people like Charlie Chaplin wear hats and... You know, and, and, and for me, it, it just, and he used to flick the hats, mm -hmm. and I was fascinated. And my grandfather always wore a hat. So I've been brought up with hats, and I can always remember, you know, my grandfather would, would wear a, a, a tweed jacket, waistcoat, and, and beautiful trousers, and then wear his hat mm. for this little fob watch. And I just thought, gentlemen need to wear hats. <laughs> but it wasn't until... I went bald, <laughs> I started wearing hats. And now it's a part of me. And, and I, I just think there's something about a nice hat that makes me feel dressed. I don't wear baseball caps because I'm with you on that. I don't think baseball caps suit me that well. But a, a trilby or, or a proper hat, I, I love. Yeah. I, I just feel dressed. There's an etiquette to them as well, isn't there, the wearing of a hat, that is very attractive. And you sort of think that that's missing from the world now. That thing of touching the brim as a sort of a, as a welcome, yeah. which is really yeah. polite and sweet. And you can do that in the street. You don't have to vocalise it. You can just touch your hat as a sort of a welcome to someone, a good morning. But also the thing of going indoors, it comes off automatically. You, you take the hat off as a courtesy, showing respect. I do like a world where the idea that a coffin goes by and people take that moment to show respect to it, to stand still. Nothing annoys me more than someone trying to overtake a hearse. Yeah, and that's what I like about the Victorian era as well. It, I just love the history of hats and, and how gentlemen wore hats. And the guy who makes mine is such an amazing, cool guy. And, and mm. he, he, it, they were saying that, that men are now becoming more aware of hat wearing. And he's, he's, you know, he's making top hats still, he's making bowlers and because the bowler hat was so popular wasn't it's it it's an amazing thing isn't it it's a very solid hat mm. do you know there's a couple of things you've said over the last few minutes that um just again and again i keep going back to this thing of how do you see these things why are you sensitive enough to them why do they communicate with you it's a question that again goes back and forth in my mind and yet over and over again you've shown an empathy and a, a sympathy for certain ways of life that may well explain it. Do you know what I mean? When you described your friend, because he stood out, he was constantly bullied and picked on by people, and yet he hey. was your best friend. He was the one that you protected. You you said early on that you were part of the in crowd and you 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 know there's nothing wrong with you, but you stood out. But at the same time, being part of that in crowd, you weren't afraid to risk that position by befriending the person that they bullied. Mm, I think you're right. And I did lose my position in the in-crowd because of Paul. Mm -hmm. I can remember 
walking into school my first year as a senior school, as a, a secondary school, and um, there was a circle of people, and the word up north we call it scrap fighting. Yeah, an archaic scrap, 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 scrap. And I, and I, and I kind of thought, why is these people letting people hurt each other? Why why is that happening? And I looked down. And I saw Paul's face out here. But at the time, I just thought it was an injury. Mm. And this lad was kicking him in the face. And I thought, why is nobody stopping this? None of my friends are stopping this happening. So I can remember pushing through the circle. And I bent down to Paul. And, and I said, are you okay, mate? That was my words. And within that, the headmaster came through, thought I'd caused the fight with <laughs> Paul. Yes. So my ear was pulled to the outside the office and shortly after, Paul explained the situation, and we became inseparable. But the sad story to that is um, every lunchtime, Paul would get bullied. So it was almost as if I was his protector. I was his guardian, almost. And, and we became really, really, really good friends. But if I look back at it now, I think he's in a good place. I, I, I'm happy in my memory. I'm happy where he is, because I know in this society, he wouldn't fit in. Yeah. And clearly... Having the ability to come back and make a point before he went, he chose you to do that too. He did. And without him, I wouldn't have understood what was going on with me. So he's taught me something, really. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you know, I think you look fine in your hat. Thank you. And absolutely no need to go bald first. I think it's a very <laughs> fine statement. So we should put hats and the elegance of them all into the time capsule for you. Thank you. Okay, Paul, we've got two other things to put in. We've got one more good thing and one thing you'd like to put in and forget. My good thing without it sounding egotistic is my career. Because I never thought it would span as long as it spans. You know, anything paranormal has a loop, should we say. It's fashionable. But I've been doing TV now for 30 years, which is a long, long time. But it's not about really, it's not about me. It's about respecting people's careers. And, and this comes back with you saying that I'm very sympathetic and, 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 and listen, I'm a big believer that people don't always have what we call everyday normal jobs. Mm. And mine is very unusual and mine is very obscure, I guess. But I respect other people's career paths, but people don't always accept mine. Yes. I mean, for example, there must be people who, who accuse you of being a charlatan. Oh. You know, I'm sure that happens. You've seen an opportunity and you've, uh, you've created this personality, which is the person you say you are. But yeah. I can't see that in you at all. I can't see the cynicism that that would require. I believe that you are absolutely genuine in what you say about all these things. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. People should. Uh, well, uh, anybody who forges a career, particularly an unusual one, they deserve respect because th it's not easy. It must be a delight for you to meet other people, to work with other people who share your skill, as it were, because that must be rare for you. You must feel in an isolated world most of the time. And so when you come across the other people who say, yeah, that's me as well, Ian, I do that, I can hear that, you must go, wow, great, at last. It is very much like that. But do you know what I love? Everyone's got a story to tell, and that's what I like, and that's what I love about my career, and that's why I wanted to pop it into the time capsule because I talk to so many people, I see so many celebrities throughout my show and, and, and requ who require help, and we'll sit there, we'll have a little coffee and a biscuit or whatever, and, and they'll say, the other day I was travelling in the car or I was walking down the street and this happened. And then they'll lead into this 
full-blown ghost story almost <laughs> but then they'll say at the end of it but i don't really believe uh, but i think hang on a minute you've just explained something to me that is a little bit not normal you know and and, and that's what i like about my career because i could be sat talking to anybody on the tube or, or on the bus taxi and they have an explanation i was working in liverpool for example just come back yesterday from filming and we got a taxi to this location. And this man was a Muslim. And he says to me, what do you do? And I thought, what do I say? Because mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, insult his religion. So I said, I'm an exorcist. And he went, wow. Mm. I don't know what to say, he says. That's amazing. I said, thank you. I said, do you believe in it? He says, well, we believe in jinns. Jinns to us are demonic entities. I went, I understand the Quran a little bit. Obviously, that's part of my training, so I get mm -hmm. that. And he says but I don't know whether I believe in ghosts. I went, okay, that's fine. That, that's your belief. And he said, but he says, the weirdest thing happened to me. He says, maybe you can explain this to me. Mm. He said, I went home. My wife said to me, uh, the TV's been going on and off. And I went, yeah, but that could be battery. That could be anything. He went, yeah. He says, I said that to my wife. And he says, uh, we've just moved into this house three weeks ago, aren't you? And then the lights started flickering. I went, okay. I said, well, as a psychic, I would say it could be paranormal. But as a skeptic, I would want to rule that out and say, get an electrician in to see if there's a short somewhere. <laughs> and he says, but I've done that. And he says, and I can't find anything wrong. Right. Then also, he says, I've run a bath, he says, I went into my bathroom. There's two wet footsteps on the floor. But I went into the, the children's room, said, have you been in the bath? And knowing they wouldn't, because they're not allowed to go in, he says, because the water was warm, because he'd got young children. Mm -hmm. I went to ask my wife. She'd not been in the bus. He says, how do you explain that? I says, well, I can't, because I wasn't there. No. But I says, you're now telling me that your lights are flickering on and off, your TV's going on and off, you've had an electrician in, there's nothing wrong with it, and then you're now explaining to me that there's a bath full of water. Nobody apparently has been in it, but then there's two footsteps. He went, yeah. And I says, well, what else have you got to tell me? <laughs> he says, we have a tile floor in our bathroom, then we have uh, laminate flooring throughout the apartment. He said, I says, okay. He says, there was more footsteps. I said, have you done any research on the property? He went, we found out by a tenant below us that there was a domestic. And he says, now I'm really taking her word for it. I went, okay, that there was a domestic many years ago. And this man had murdered his partner by drowning her in the bath. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so I said, so how does that make you feel? He says, well, I'm getting one of my priests in to perform an exorcism. Right. And he says, what's the chances of me getting a priest in to perform an exorcism and I have an exorcist sat in my car? <laughs> and I went, well, okay. I know, I've never met another one. Exactly. And, and I couldn't believe the stuff he was coming out with. And it's just funny how my career path takes these journeys where somebody talks in depth about an experience that they've had. Ah, but you let them talk. You allow these things into your life, Ian. So oh. that would explain it to me. And you say it happens all the time. You go, yeah, well, how many people sit down with strangers and start a conversation? Yeah, you're totally right. You're mm. totally right. And it just... No matter where I go or where I am, there's a story to be told. And it's like, have I been placed here at this moment in time to listen to this conversation? Am I meant to be listening to this conversation? Is it a coincidence or, or what is it? 
Don't know. It's in your nature. It must be. You can't make yourself that person. Yeah. 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 But there you go. Well, let's celebrate your career then and all those people who have the courage to go out and make a career of something that other people might well mock or laugh about. Let's encourage I that. I respect indeed. that. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Lovely. Okay, so just really one thing that you'd sort of uh, you'd say, well, I wish I hadn't had to go through that. Celiac disease. Oh. So I'm celiac. Mm. Yeah, so I've recently been diagnosed with celiac. And um, the reason why I want to put it in there to never come out is because I love cake. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love cake. I love pastries. I love everything with flour in. Mm. And, and the, you know, unfortunately, I've had to do a, a big turnaround for my lifestyle. And um, I wish it was something that I could put into that time capsule <laughs> and never, ever have to <laughs> deal with ever again. Because you, you know yourself, when you're out on location, a lot of it is junk food, a lot of it is grab what you can. A lot of it is sandwiches. Yeah, and I can't do any of that. And for example, the last hotel we've just come from, um, production had told the hotel that I'm celiac, so I need catering for They promised they could cater for it. I went without breakfast for three days because they said to me, oh, there's nothing in our kitchen we can cook for you. No. Yes, yes. Production obviously got onto them, and the last day, they decided to go to the supermarket and buy some gluten-free produce for me. <laughs> now, why couldn't they have done that after the first day is beyond me? Completely. It's a changed world, though, surely. I mean, my daughter-in-law is celiac. And, uh, oh, wow. And I absolutely know, and I would never belittle it. And some people sort of go, oh, yeah, you, 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 know, you can't eat wheat. What well, makes you what? And you go, makes me really ill. It's a very nasty thing. But, and here's a moment of hope for you. Her mother and her, they are the most fantastic cooks. And it was my son's 40th birthday, I think I may have mentioned, at the weekend. Uh -huh. We had a party and he had two of the most gorgeous cakes, both gluten-free. Wow. Yeah. So maybe I need to be speaking to your relatives then. Maybe I need to put you in touch. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? The quality doesn't change at all, actually. It is perfectly possible to cook things really well, to make really nice bread without using wheat and without using gluten and all sorts of things that you would be allergic to. The idea that they couldn't provide you with breakfast is absolutely absurd. You would have thought this day and age, you know, the century we're in now is so easy to cater. But do you know what, what insults me more than anything, and not, not many things do insult me, is when the chef will come out of the kitchen and say, is it for personal reasons? I went, no, it's for dietary reasons. But because I fancy it. Who would choose that? Oh, I, you know, I think I'll just be a person who can't yeah. have wheat because I fancy being <laughs> that person. Yeah. It's mad. And, but it was, it's absolutely crazy, ridiculous. But that, that's the sort of stuff that, that I have to hit on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, or can you have a little bit? Uh, no, I can't have any. No. You know, well, how about if you just have one round of toast? Would that be okay? No, not really. <laughs> I, I can understand that it is difficult because you do have to keep everything absolutely separate. I mean, the tiniest crumb yes. would ruin a meal for you and make you unwell. I'm, I'm aware of that. Well, you know, it is difficult for kitchens. And now, of course, it's unusual to find a fish and chip shop where they won't be offering you gluten-free batter. Exactly. It nearly ruined my first date with my partner. So, so my 50th, and we went to this beautiful hotel mm. and they promised us that they would cook us all gluten-free produce. And um, we was having this lentil kind of soup. 
what it was. As a, as a, it, it, it was awful, really, but, but, but it was a posh <laughs> restaurant. They promised us that it was gluten-free. And uh, halfway through the dish, uh, on, on one of our first dates, I said to my partner, I don't feel very well. Uh, and she went, goodness, are you going to be okay? I said, I need to go to the room. Mm. And I didn't make it to my room. Oh, Lord. And um, So, you know, as embarrassed as I was, Nicola was amazing about it. said, don't worry about it. You've got an illness. It's sorted. She went storming downstairs to the, to the restaurant. They'd only used a stock cube that wasn't gluten-free. Uh, and that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I bet she's more vigilant than you are. She is more vigilant than I am, <laughs> totally. And, and when I'm away... She's ringing me constantly and saying, what are you eating? What have you got? And she always kind of puts loads of snacks and stuff in my bag that, mm. that are gluten-free, you know, just to make sure that I'm in a, if I'm ever in a situation where I can't eat anything, I've got something. Yeah. Well, my house is full of things. We have jars of stuff, just simple things like mustard that you might add to a sandwich. So we have separate yes. jars that have on them gluten-free. Uh-huh. That's why I want it in and never to come out ever again. It's like those days when you'd say to someone, I'm a vegetarian, and they'd give you a salad with bits of bacon in it, just to add a bit of flavour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're totally right. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I understand that. Oh, yes, we will definitely put it in the time capsule for you, Ian. Thank you so much. But don't worry, because I've got the solution. Uh, you and I will go and visit the cake shop in Tunbridge Wells. Thank you. And then... I shall promise you a night in which we shall both be abducted by aliens. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic. It's been lovely to talk to you. And you, thank you so much. Can I just say, like, the Yorkshire Exorcist will air on the 28th of October at 10pm on Rarely. No, I'm afraid you can't, Ian, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Ian Lawman. Thank you for listening. I don't know what you made of Ian's life and the incredible things he's experienced. Call me a cynic if you like. In fact, I'd like to call me a cynic because I am. In fact, I'm completely sure that there is a simple and non-spiritual explanation for everything Ian talked about. But that's just me. You may not be sure yourself, of course, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. One thing you can be sure about is that my time capsule will be back next week with another episode. So please do subscribe to this podcast and do rate or even review it if you have the time. You can follow and therefore chat with me and my time capsule on social media. You can download or stream the Past the Peas composed and performed theme tune on Spotify. And you can get this podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus for only £2.99 a month. That's just 37p per episode, which goes straight back into this production, which was a cast-off production for Acast. It was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, time for the usual joke, so you'll know that the next bit I say isn't in fact true. I wish I could speak to the dead, actually, because I'd like to apologise to my great-uncle Derek. Sadly, he died during his 90th birthday party, which was a shame because we were only halfway through giving him the bumps at the time. You see, it's not true. It's not true. I don't want to apologise. We were giving him the bumps, though. Bye. Bye. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.